Uh, I'm just going to kind of go through this verse by verse today a little bit, even though it's a long passage. I just think it's the easiest way to sort of work through it. He he starts off, he says, uh, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And he says, because there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. And uh, when he uses the word spirit in the the Greek in sort of the most general sense, it's like air or wind or, or when it's in this case, like in this passage, applied to obviously a person, it's like the, the breath that comes out as you speak or that. And, and when he says false prophets, he's clearly talking about uh, people who are saying, you know, that they're from God or speaking for God, but they're not. And he also makes clear that it, he's not just talking about a situation in the church or where there's a false prophet in terms of like in Israel, they say they're worshiping God, but they don't. But but he really, at the end of this section, uh, says it's about a spirit of truth or error. So he's really just, he's expanding it to the concept of truth. And... and what he's getting at here or reminding them or setting the conversation in uh, is that when someone speaks, everybody speaks as though the words coming out of their mouth are objective truth. But he said you just need to understand that whenever something is spoken, there's a spirit behind that. (laughs) Whenever there's that, you can't just say... And that's objective truth. There's, he's not saying there isn't objective truth. He's just saying it's come out, but you have to consider that it's come from something, a spirit that's pushed it out. And it's the same conclusion that it's not a, a Christian idea or even a Greek idea. It's, lots of people have come to the idea that, like, well, there could be objective truth. There may be objective truth. There probably is objective truth, but that doesn't change the fact that like whenever truth is talked about, it's talked about within the context of a community, (laughs) and there's always some sort of agenda that's in mind there. It's impossible for a spirit to breathe out a truth objectively without some reason for putting it out there. (laughs) And so all he's saying is, is you can't just sit there and try and figure out what's going on by trying figuring out all the things that are spoken. If it's object, you have to consider why it's being spoken and what the end result is. And he says something interesting because it's not just in the church, but he's saying truth as a whole. If you really want to get to it through. Words spoken by spirits, and he includes spirits of people, spirits of demons, spirits of angels, spirits himself, the Holy Spirit. He says it all is governed by this, an evaluation of whether or not it's coming to the same conclusion as the gospel. He says the, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God who he says is truth, but but every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. When he says Jesus Christ, we've 
already mentioned that. He's not just saying Jesus is a historical figure, but he's tying it to him, accomplishing a promise of God that we need a Savior. And this is the promise of God saving us. And he's saying, if what's being said is coming to that conclusion, then what's being said might be the truth. But he says that if it comes to, he uses the word antichrist after that. He says, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist. So he says, Jesus Christ, antichrist. He's, he's talking about that message. That, that there's a message out there that says, we need help. We're not going to find it from amongst ourselves. Our only hope for help is that there's a God up there who's somehow going to come down and save us. We're not sure how that's going to happen, maybe. Maybe we just don't know whatever. But, like, that's basically our hope. And he says, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> so if that's the conclusion that you're coming to, you're probably dealing with some facts that are being put out of scripture. But he says the other thing is the anti-that message. And the anti-that message is saying, look, maybe we do need saving, but we think we can save ourselves. And he says, you know, that there's a, a spirit in the world and a spirit that will come. And, and it's around this idea that's that anti-message of we need a help from God. We need a salvation that's going to come from God. And, and the anti-that message is saying we will be able to save ourselves. We can get together. We can make this world a better place. We can make change. We can solve these problems. If we just make these changes and that changes. He says that's all a message that's anti the message, we don't have a chance in hell unless God comes down and saves us somehow. <laughs> he says, basically, there's like two. Once you put God into the mix, there's now two possibilities. <laughs> and some people would say, well, there's a third possibility of just there's no hope anywhere. <laughs> so you can put that in there. But he says, look, and he's saying this to them because they're being, he's saying he's worried that everyone's dragging them this is a context in the church for them, but, but it's really just for everyone. People are going to drag us all over the place. But he says, it really comes down to you've got to make up your mind on this. Where are we going to find help from? And waffling back and forth on that isn't going to gain any ground on anything. He says, you, you don't have to. You can waffle back and forth. But you're never going to find the truth of one way or the other until you pick one and start seeing where that takes you. So he's saying here, you got to pick and try and see, is there a God that is saving us, that is involving our life? Do I see indications of that in actuality, not just in words, but we'll get to that. You need to come to that conclusion or do you just not see any of that and you see that we're saving ourselves and you just that's what you believe? But waffling back and forth proves nothing. That's like the worst of anything. And so now he starts talking to them about how it is that he comes to see this other as the truth. I was going to make a joke about the Holy Spirit, but I'm not going to. <laughs> 
Um, he says the way, the reason why he's telling them that this side of things pulls the truth out, he, he's going to tell you, tell us why that is, why he's come to believe that. And, and here's what he says. Uh, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everybody who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so he changes the topic here in a sense. He says, look, you're talking about objective truth, this spirit, that spirit, saying this. We've got to try and figure it out. And this is why I'm saying to you, that the truth comes out of this side of looking at things in terms of this message of the gospel, Jesus is the Christ, God saving us. He says, because what this is really about, the salvation that we're talking about, is we're really talking about people coming to love each other. Whenever we talk about a law or a rule or this or that, he says, what we're really talking about is how is someone going to come to love someone else? How are we going to, it's like, well, we all just need to pull together and start love. Well, how's that going to (laughs) happen? How is it that we're going to start coming to love? And what he says is, well, continue reading. He says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He says, dear friends, since God has so loved us, we ought also to love one another. What he's saying is, is that no one, you can't make a law that tells someone they need to love someone else. It, it won't, it doesn't, doesn't do that. <laughs> they have to choose to do that. Love is something that can only happen out of freedom. I mean, that makes sense, right? Why is God giving freedom? Because there's no possibility of love without freedom. Uh, I, if someone's in a cage, they can't, like, just because they're following you around in a cage, it doesn't mean that they love you. They only love you if they're free. And he says, and freedom obviously does not produce love. <laughs> I mean... God, the, whatever you believe about God or whether there is a God or not, the one thing you would have to say is, is if there is a God in pretty much, you might say, an objective truth type thing, he's giving us way more freedom than what we should ever have. He's saying the reason why this brings out the truth is because what we need is love. That's what God is bringing us. And it turns out that for whatever reason, it's, it, we need to have freedom, but freedom in and of itself won't bring us to love. The law won't bring us to love. What brings us to love is when we are loved. 
He says, the only hope for change, the only hope for salvation, the only hope for any little tidbit of objective truth or fact to be of any value to us is insofar as our hearts are changed and we start loving. And the only hope for that to happen, the only fact that will help that is the fact of us coming to see or believe or have truth that that we are loved. And he's saying, whenever that happens, God's the one who's behind it, if you really take a look deeper into it. (laughs) It's being pushed forward by God. He's the originating source. We love, he's about to say, because he first loved us. You know, we love because we're loved. And whenever we feel that sense of love, it may be some other person may be involved in it. But the only reason how that all comes out and sifts through all of the crud that is there in life, <laughs> he's saying, it requires such a giant merit. You'd have, God is the only one who's pushing that forward. He says... And this is how we know that, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live in him. This is love. He's saying not that we have loved God. He's not talking about love like, oh, I'm just going to all of a sudden decide that I'm going to love. He says that's not what happens. You only love when you've been loved. And that's coming from God. And he says, judge, you know, he's basically saying, judge for yourself whether or not you think that's true or not in life. And he says that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning or a propitiation or a, a, a purchasing of us from our sins. There's these, a demand put on us because of all of the things that we do in life that are completely unloving <laughs> to everyone. And he's purchasing us back from that and making it right. Now he's moving on to... Let me keep going and then I'll come back to that. He says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then he says, No one has ever seen God... But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Look, when you always wonder, God exists, why doesn't he just make himself known to us? If God wants to talk to me, why does he have to use this written thing? Why doesn't he just talk to me? Everybody blah, blah, blahs each other all day long. You don't know who that person is. You see an external skeletal robot image there, but the the whole thing, he says, there's a spirit in there. And I'm looking at all of you. I can't see that spirit, but that's who you are. It's not this external shell. That's not who you are. And that's not who God is, an external shell. What there is, is there's a spirit there. That's who you are. And This is really interesting. What he's saying is, is you can't come to know that spirit outside 
of the way that that spirit does things in this external sense that demonstrates love to you. That, that as love is coming to you from that spirit, that's how you actually get to know that spirit, that person. And, and he says that the love isn't by, oh, I gave them a dollar or I gave, you know, I fed my kids or this or that. He says, no, no, no. Love is this. It's tied to what God actually did, and he is talking about historically what happened with Jesus and this message of the gospel, but he's also just talking to about it in a general sense of saying love is expressed when someone gives their life for you. When someone takes who they are and they set it aside for you, whether they give you some cash or this or that, that, that's a meaningless thing. There's a million reasons why someone may do that. That has nothing to do with it. He says, if you're going to examine things and try and get at the truth, the truth that you need to get at is where, where am I going to find any love? And how am I going to be able to see whether someone loves me? How am I going to get to know someone? You can talk all you want to that person. But if you don't, they don't love you, you're never going to know who they are. Someone can talk to you all they want. And if, they, if, if you don't love them, they're not going to get to know who you are. They're just going to get to know all the stupid stuff that we just throw out there about that's just false. That's just... I don't have the words to describe here like what it is that we do when we talk. <laughs> he says there's something real there. There's real people here. And the only way you can get to know, the only way that you can be with, he's about to say, the only way that we can have what we need to not be alone is to come and know each other. And the only way we can know is insofar as some sort of love comes out of this spirit, not the words, the but like this love that comes out that, that what we, how we know God is the same way we know everyone else. It's in these instances where God is giving of himself. And if this is all true, there would have to be a story where God became one of us. There would have to be a story where he gave his life for us. What what you read about Jesus would have to be the case if it is true that a God exists and that a God loves us, given what we all know about each other. It would have to be the case. And he's saying, look at that, but also look how that concept plays over in our life over and over and over again. He talked about, you know, if there's a God here, he's giving us way too much. What, what it really is, is a God who's just... If there's a God who's there and a God who's just, he has to be setting aside that part of himself or restraining something about himself to, for us to even continue to exist. <laughs> Everything about God is a restraint on who he is to be able to, out of love for us. He says, and this is how we know 
that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and they in God, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who live in love live in God as God and them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. What? Saying, look, the love that we see around us, it's not really, it, it should be obvious to us, it's not starting with all of us just making these random decisions that like, I think I'd really just like to start loving and so then I just start loving. I was just listening to, I, yeah. I'm walking down the street this morning and there's this young gal talking on the phone to someone else, and you could just tell, like, from the language or whatever, you know, it's a church person talking about something and talking about someone else out of love, just gossiping about this person, but out of love because, never mind, I'm going to stop being sarcastic, but I was trying very hard to turn corners and to, but it was just like, eerily screeching through my brain. And they kept saying, it's like, look, I know everyone messes up, but this person's just unwilling to make that 180 turn. You know that 180 turn that we all make when we repent? Just like, I'm just going to chalk this up to, and maybe I'm being age discrimination, but like, I, rem- I mean, it's like, really? That's the way you see things working in the world? <laughs> that people all of a sudden realize they've done something wrong and then make a 180 turn and problem solved. (laughs) It's like... The love is coming from somewhere. And it's coming from a God who's perfect and loves us and is giving us freedom, more freedom than is practical, whatever, but because he... He loves us and wants to be with us. And the perfection of the love is not us making a 180 degree turn. God's not stupid. He knows that we're not doing that. I mean, it's obvious that's not happening. I mean, maybe some instance of objective truth you could give me. Like, I remember I saw it one time where someone did. I'll give it to you. But in generality, it just doesn't happen. He loves us. But there is this principle that when we're loved, I I don't know how to put this into terms. It's almost like a choice is thrust upon us. That's the choice of coming to Jesus is all about. And it's about, am I going to respond to this or not? Love, whether it's coming through, it's coming from God and he's pushing it through us. And that's miraculous and mind-boggling by softening our hearts so that we will love. But, but it's all pushing us towards this idea of a response. How are we going to respond to that? 
and when we respond with something that amounts to I love you too, then that love has been perfected. That faith has been perfected. That faith of Abraham has been perfected in his works, you might say. But what it really comes down to is God's saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I'm not just putting it in words, but you should be able to know it and see it. I want you to like, you got to invest, you got to look at this and see. And as we, and he says, the reason why the gospel is so important is because it changes the, the, the way that we see things. We, we want to see everything as, I do this, I do that, this person does this, this person does this, I'm accomplishing this, I'm accomplishing that. But if we can just see the truth, which is, I'm not doing anything other than going around hurting people and messing up, and yet love and goodness is still coming into my life, what we will come to see, which he says, you'll, he says, don't take my word for it, look at it yourself, but, but if you come into communion with me or come to the same conclusion that I'm coming to, here's the conclusion I'm coming to, I'm coming to the conclusion that God loves me and he's the one that's been pushing all this forward. And what the Bible says is, no, no one's going to make 180. God's not expecting that. He's just expecting a tiny mustard seed, like the smallest speck of who we are, to just respond in the smallest of ways to say, I love you too. And he says, if that's there, that's good enough for me. That's all I've been waiting for. I'll, I'll take all the restraint that I'm feeling in the sense of justice, Nina, all that restraint, it's all worth it if that love that I'm pouring out can be perfected in the smallest little sense of someone saying, I love you too. Not perfectly, I don't need that. And he's telling them, I don't know, Does this fit the world the way you see it? He says, and here's the reason. He says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we might have confidence on the day of judgment. What is he talking about there? He's talking about that there is going to be a day of judgment. I was reading through this, and just like when we were reading through John, it got me thinking about 1 John, and I started thinking about you know, end times things, but he's talking about that. But he's also talking about how are we going to have confidence in any relationship given the fact that we're going to do some hurtful things in that and some sort of judgment is going to be faced on that. He says if you don't have a sense of a love that can come, that's coming to us through God, through forgiveness. He says, for if we do not love a brother or sister whom we have seen, we cannot love God whom we have not seen. 
He's just saying, how, how, do, we, how do you think you're going to have forgiveness for someone else if you can't even see the forgiveness that God has for us? He says, this is the main point here. He says, on the day of judgment in this world, we are like Jesus. And he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love. In other words, what's that love that you just said, perfected? I love you. And there's some sort of response back. I love you too. It's perfect on God's part, inadequate on our part, but God takes it as perfect. And he says, there's no fear there in that. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. He's talking about one of the one of the main reasons why he's bringing this to them and he's not saying, look, you guys, you have to just stay on the straight and narrow. You can't ever waffle back and forth on this. He knows we're going to waffle back. He waffles, but we all waffle back and forth on this. But he's saying you need to think about what's being lost as we waffle, as we go back and forth on this. He says what's being lost is every time we go back to this idea, this spirit, this anti-Christ message that we're the ones who are going to save ourselves. That we're going to, he says it just plunges our whole life into fear. Everything that comes around the corner is something to be afraid of because it can all, it's like a house of cards we're building. The slightest little inkling of anything could topple it all. It just drives us that we're living this life, which is a wonderful life that God has given, a wonderful opportunity to connect to people and, and to see love and to experience love in, in a way that will never in all of eternity be able to have it. And, and all, greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. That'll never happen in all of eternity. It, I'm not saying it's good or but you see what I'm saying. There's something unique about what's happening here. And we're going to just waste it all away by just walking around making every decision out of fear and just worry. But he says, if you can investigate this, if you look and see, and you see if this conclusion is true, that that God loves us, that he has sent his son to save us, that, that he has made up for whatever judgment needs to rightly fall on us, that he's going to take that on himself. And and is all he's asking for is for us to just have some sort of moment of recognition of all that. And the reason why to recognize that isn't to make him feel better about himself. It's to open up this possibility that some small part of us might respond and say, I love you too. And God's fine with whatever small part of us will do that. And he says he doesn't want our life driven by fear. And when we waffle from this message, it just drives fear into our heart. And that's the root of that. And he says that root of that comes from, he's already said, the spirit of the devil 
who has this other message and is pushing it forward in us. It says, and he has given us this command. Those who love God must love one another. What he's saying there, he's already gone through the command part. What he's saying just to close is whatever small part of us wants to respond, he didn't just love us and then leave it unsaid. He loved us and demonstrated it by coming down and giving his life, his son, his life for us. He says, if there's any part that wants to say, I love you too, and if there's any part that actually wants to express it, how else could that be expressed other than to express some sort of love to the ones that he loves, which is all of us? It's not saying you're going to go to hell if you don't do something that's love. It's like, that's already been taken care of in the discussion. He's just saying, how is it that this love is perfected? It's perfected as two people come to love each other. And for our part, he's not asking for much from us. But if we want to express it in any type of way, how could it possibly be expressed by any means other than something to do with us loving one another? It's not expressed by us giving some sort of objective truth and hammering someone over the head with it in hate. That has nothing to do with a response to cut. That's a response to the devil. The only way that makes any sense, that whatever actually say, to whatever degree, I want to respond to this love that God has for me, would be some sort of way. And he is saying it here. He said it earlier when he said the love is from God and, and God in us. What he's saying is God is so merciful that he actually comes behind that heart and gives opportunity and instance in our life to be able to express it if we so choose. And he says, I'm not talking about you loving, but God will love and give you a way of expressing it. And it will actually come down to just some small part of you just saying yes to it is what it will come down to. And most of the time, we won't even say yes. At least I, if, you, if you're anything like me, most of the time, I won't even say yes. But God will hold that out there and won't let it go away. And it'll bother me. I'll get irritated. Why aren't you just letting this pass? And he'll just leave it out there. It's like, no, I, I am going to make this happen because I know your heart and I know that you want to express it. And this is the only way you're going to be able to express it and be able to have that confidence of that love of being able to say all that God knows. And, and in my mind, I'm not thinking about any of that. But he'll hold it out there with patience. And then it'll happen. And it'll be completely God that made it happen. But I'll be able to be a part of it. 
And he says, whatever it is that anyone's saying about the Bible and about truth and about this, here's the truth that I've come to see as this is what I think. And you come to whatever conclusions he's saying you want to come to, but I have a feeling, he says, if you really take a look at it, you'll come to the same conclusion John's saying as him. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to lift this up. And I just pray that you would let your word become clear to us and not just... We just thank you, Lord, for making your love clear to us. We thank you, Lord, for the patience that you have with us. And Lord, our prayer to you is that that we'll grow to be able to say, I love you too. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.